you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Price picks is the easiest, the most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. I'm Ian Dark, and you're listening to Men in Blazers, sub-optimal radio on the Grantland Network. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, Rog, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Beautiful day. It is. Spring is in the air. Can you feel it? It's, a, it's, it's, it's about a, 32 degrees, but lovely light. It is. You know why, David? The light is coming through the blinds, shining yeah. on your face. It's Cut the, by ravens. Davo's birthday week. It was. It was my birthday week. Happy Turned birthday, 104. Mate. 104. Oh, I've got to I feel like serenading you. You look fabulous. Thank you. All that work you've done. It's paid off. My boob job. Oh, I didn't want to mention that. <laughs> didn't want to mention that. I'd never know when yeah. someone's had one on it. It's like Jenny McCarthy a sent me to her guy. Fat woman. Amazing fat work. woman, if you're asking if she's pregnant. Yeah. And it's better never to ask, but they do look great. Yeah. yeah to be candid, neither of us is a big lover of birthdays. We don't love them, oh, do we? No. Nor do we really love people who love their birthdays. Interesting. But I did ask you on the serious show for some birthday wisdom, a conversation which soon degenerated into a conversation about what piece of music best captured what America sounded to us like as uh, in the 80s. Yeah. You chose Have More Children. Oh, no, not my advice. Oh, you mean the... Oh, yeah, that was your, that was your piece yeah. of advice. Illegitimate, legitimate, borrow them, steal them, however. Just so, have children. But you also came You never regret children. You were talking about The Outfield, that great band. Oh, The Outfield. That was, we were talking about what does America sound like? And The Outfield, a band from England... Sheffield. Who were here in sort of 1986, 1987. The most American sounding music I've ever heard. And whenever. Big here, I was never back big in, in England. England. Well, whenever I was back in England, I'd think about America. It would sound like the outfield. And for me, the sound was Belinda Carlisle, Mad yeah. About You, The Hooters, Similar era. Nervous Nights, John Cougar Mellencamp, Pink Houses. But we both realised the best way to keep a sane and balanced life, to keep happy, possibly the only way oh. to keep the black dog at bay. <laughs> is to jump around your bedroom playing yeah. a tennis racket as a guitar, which yeah. is what, Preferably ironically, I would say, me and my mate, uh, Simon Richardson, Richie, used to do to the outfield. Yeah. Because we imagine that's what American college students were doing in their dorms, in their co-eds and their frats, that they were playing tennis rackets as guitars, jumping around <laughs> in their boxer shorts and, and, and white socks and T-shirts. Wheels within wheels. Football <laughs> across them. <laughs> Playing uh, their tennis rackets as guitars. That's it, David. Isn't that like every day at American college? Then you go to a frat party and you do like, you have a keg of beer. What are you majoring in? I'm majoring in playing guitar with a tennis racket <laughs> that's made of wood. Yeah. That's it. That is it, David. Who I else has it. had a good week? Uh, Dennis Rodman just returned from a visit to North Korea. Uh, Rog, where he met with Kim Jong-un. Uh, <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. Which footballer would you send on a diplomatic mission, Rog? Well, he's a spectacular... They sent Rodman and the three random Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> it was like celebrity rehab meets A-grade diplomacy. Yeah. I mean, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to maintain... Because North, they're the North... only team in the world that have the same winning record as the North Korean men's oh. national team in soccer. That's the reason that the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> got invited. It just suddenly occurred to me. That's, the elite respects the elite. Uh, do we want North Korea to maintain isolationism, or do we want them to draw them out to the West, because it depends. If, if the price of drawing them out to the West is that they have to be best friends with Dennis Rodman, I'm not sure it's worth it. Well, if it was pure Rodman, I'd send John Terry. Huh. He'd probably walk around for a couple of days with his fingers pushing back his eyebrows and generally just upsetting the North Korean people. <laughs> giving wedgies to Kim Jong-un. Um, uh, I sort of feel that David Beckham is already on a diplomatic mission. You know, our Prime Minister, the great David Cameron... Has already, um, has already upset the French a lot. 
you know, talking about pulling out of uh, Europe, making lots of threats, being generally uh, anti-French. And I think Beckham is there. Le Postpice is on a uh, mission diplomatique uh, à Paris. A secretif. Oui. If you really did want to make peace... I'd probably pursue a policy of stick and carrot diplomacy, David. Yeah. Sandro would be my stick. Yeah. Berbatov would be my carrot. He's got an air of the Talleyrand about him. That yeah. Day. Very good. Okay, Rog, coming up on today's pod, we're going to review it, uh, another big weekend yeah. in the English Premier League and Huge. the opening of an MLS. Uh, big weekend for them. Their 18th season going where no league has gone before, Rog. How will it end? Uh, American, how will it end? It might never end. It might go on forever. I'm talking about the secret of eternal youth and oh, happiness, David. We're going to speak with the jolliest man in the history of jolly. There are minstrels. There were More depressed there, than him. There, 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 there's no minstrel ever who was as happy as Bob Lee. Bob Lee, had he been alive and been a minstrel or a court jester in medieval years, would have got every other court jester executed beheaded for not being jolly enough you know because jolly on the Bob is? Lee skill. How jolly is Bob Lee? He's, he, he's, Bobby McFerrin is yeah. less jolly, yeah, less than, jolly. Than he is. I know. Yeah, he's the second. He's forced down the list of jolly Bobs by Bob Lee. Yeah, he's so jolly. Uh, so that's it. And then we're going to uh, answer your Ravens. And, uh, and, you know, there's no Downton Abbey to talk about. I feel like bereft. <sighs> I know you're not alone, David. Although, although O'Brien although, is leaving the is leaving the uh, is leaving the show. Apparently, and they're talking well. about having an African American character join the cast. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you? Of Which footballer would you want? Which African American footballer would you want? I hear Josie Altidore's doing very well at Easy Alkmaar. We'll chat about him later, David. Arsenal Spurs. Yes, Tottenham Spurs two. Arsenal won. Spurs recorded an all-important win over their North London rivals thanks to two absolutely identical goals at the end of the first half from Gareth Bale and Aaron Lennon. Uh, it was Bale's ninth goal in seven games, Rog. He's like I clockwork. Mean, yeah. The game was a bit like watching a biblical scene in which Jacob steals Esau's birthright. Yeah. Spurs. Very similar. They've seemed forever aspirational, but they've now pretenders no more. 12 games unbeaten. Four straight wins. I'd say it was a tough game to watch as an Everton fan. Because uh, if you hold out a candle for Champions League places, you really rationally wanted Arsenal to win. But, Davey. Explain that to me. Hatred, well, you, you don't want the Spurs even were in fourth. You want, yeah. that, you want that gap to so stay Spurs were tight. in third. Oh, Spurs were one point behind because they had a game in hand. Yeah, so you, so wanted, you, wanted, stay, you wanted, wanted the fourth place team to stay as low as possible. But, hatred of Piers Morgan. Yeah. Dictated cheerings for a Spurs I victory. Got you. It was a tough call. But what a masterstroke by Fox Piers Morgan, David. Yeah. What I mean, f- he got himself in on the conversation. But he, he did. He's a blue. I mean, he, Fox found the one man they could put on television who makes Gus Johnson sound like he knows a lot about <laughs> football. That's, that's harsh. But uh, nevertheless, nevertheless true. I don't know what... I mean, look, I sent out a tweet during the game asking, you know, what Arsenal GFOPs, you know, actually... You know, how they felt about having their spokesperson in the United States as an Arsenal fan being represented by Piers Morgan. I've never got so many tweets in my life back, Rog, as I got universally unhappy about it. Let's talk about the game itself. Yeah, David. I can't really talk about it. I mean, the, here's the thing. that In the uh, 48 hours since that game, you know, both the press and, you know, the football fanditry have all, you know, weighed in. And it seems that 95% of the conversation has been about Arsenal and how crap they were and how much trouble they're in and, you know, Wenger out and, and all, of these, all of these issues. However, what is being obscured in this whole conversation is just how big a game this was for Tottenham, how big a win it was for Tottenham, and actually how close a game mm-hmm. it I was. Agree. And what was so impressive about Tottenham is that they won an incredibly close game of football. And what is the da- the negative for Arsenal isn't that the team is a joke. By the way, other defences are going to be skinned in the way um, that Arsenal's defence was skinned by the movement of Aaron Lennon and, and the movement of Gareth Bale. But it was that in close games, and especially against their, the top five this season, they've done worse than any other top five team. Yeah, I mean, it is funny about the game. First 20 minutes, Tottenham were... Very ragged. They were playing an extremely high line. They didn't assert themselves up front with pressure. 
from Adebayor. And then midfield was playing in the wrong gear. They really seemed to lack inspiration. I mean, Arsenal had the better of the opening exchanges. Their fans settled in with confidence. They reminded Tottenham of the 2006 season when Arsenal stole fourth place on the last day of the season. Do you remember that? Yeah. Tottenham had food poisoning en masse on the last day of the campaign, allowing Arsenal to steal the final fourth place. And they, they sang, we laughed ourselves to bits when Tottenham got the shits. Lasagna, whoa. But then Spurs exploded into life. Wenger had oddly let slip to the press before the game. He had no real plans to mark Gareth Bale. And his honesty came back to bite him. Gareth Bale, Dave, out fifth straight Premier League game he scored in. This one accomplished with a jitterbug and a flip. How good is he, Dave? I mean, bookmakers are now taking odds when Bale will next fail to score for Tottenham. Two to five, Liverpool. Eleven to four against Fulham. Six to one, Swansea. What, what well, do you look, think? he should have had at least one more goal in that game. That one he missed when he took it with his left foot from the uh, from the left wing. Probably should have taken it with his right. The commentator said, and he pitted over the bar. But I gotta think that um, that uh, is he going to get any better? I don't know if he's going to get any better. But is he? You know, you've got this legitimate argument right now. Who is the top player in uh, in the English Premier League? And it's a three-horse race right now between Suarez, uh, Robin Van Persie, and Gareth Bale. Um, and, you know, the argument for Suarez, he's playing on the worst team. The argument for uh, Van Persie is he just scores goals that you can't imagine anybody else scoring. The argument for Bale is like, well, if you could imagine anybody else scoring those goals, it's Gareth Bale. Um, and really just impressive stuff. Yeah, I agree. And from an Arsenal perspective, does that old cliche, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it Arsenal defenders proved that to be true two minutes later I mean I couldn't believe that Davo Spurs just carved them apart again an identical goal the defence was mesmerised almost trance-like and it feels like only yesterday Davo we were knighting Steve Bold three clean sheets to start yep. the season um, we were talking about the wonders that he performed and, th- and that's where I think Arsenal fans are frustrated. That's where they are discombobulated. That's where they're rubbing their eyes with disbelief. It seems to be happening over and over and over again. Yeah, look, it feels like, um, you know, to me, you know, these games have been very high-scoring in the last few years, on the whole, uh, Arsenal-Tottenham games, and I think they expected a high-scoring game. You know, they didn't set out to play a... You know, when they were controlling the first 20 minutes, they didn't set out to sort of hold the ball or establish their dominance. They didn't score... They had plenty of chances. Giroud just does not convince oh, God, me. So slow. As a, uh, as, as, as a Premier League striker. You know, Santi Cazorla, I think, is a fantastic footballer. But, um, you know, I think he's going to be a much better player in his second season in the Premier League than he, than he is in his first season. And Wilshire, as well as he's playing, and he really has come back stronger than I've imagined he would, he's still not going to be all the way there in terms of his... Um, match sharpness he's definitely got match fitness but I'm not sure he's all the way there in terms of his match sharpness um, but it's a uh, you know it's I, I wouldn't be too hard on Arsenal you know I've spent the last couple of I've looked at the uh, remaining fixture list frankly Arsenal have got a better fixture list for the rest of the season than either Tottenham and definitely Chelsea and I wouldn't count Arsenal out yet of finishing in the top four I mean they, came, they did come out for the second half fired up yeah, as if Wenger had given them his version of the hairdryer, which is reading the team from Jean Genet while playing Edith Piaf in the locker room. He's just always in such a bad mood. Oh, he is though. He is though, David. And we'll get to reasons for that. We'll debate them. Permutzaka gave Arsenal hope. It's the hope, as we so often say in football, that kills you. Giroud, you're right. I think he's awful. He's so slow. It's as if he can see his brain engage, then send a message to his feet, but eons pass in between. Um, and the second half, it did. It degenerated into a masterclass of chassing, poor crosses and fouls. Arsene Wenger admitted as much. He said, we were not efficient in the zones where it matters, at the front and at the back, which is reminiscent to me of Zidane talking about the French national team during their 2010 World Cup meltdown. He said, the good news is we only have two problems, attack and defence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's, it's a strange thing. A lot of Arsenal fans, and you know, this is sort of led by Piers Morgan, your spokesperson in the United States and potentially around the world, um, is that uh, it's the problem is that you know Arsenal sold Van Persie and got rid of Nasri and sold um, uh, Fabregas. The more worrying thing I would say for Arsenal fans 
is that for some reason these players don't want to stay at the club. It's not, yes, Arsenal, when it comes down to it, are getting rid of them. But there is nothing convincing me. Walcott took a long time to uh, decide to sign on. Wilshire only seems to be the only guy who very publicly comes out and says, I am Arsenal through and through and through. You just don't get this sense of love of club. And even for all its critics of being a manufactured club in Chelsea, you hear a lot more devotion by players, both uh, English and foreign, for their love of club than you do at Arsenal. And it's just something is not right. And it's not just Wenger. It's, there's something, as we've talked about a lot before, in the overall construct of that club. The board, the, um, the, the management, even their relationship with their own fans, the communication with their fans. There's just something wrong it's, with it's the whole club. It's a fascinating subplot right now about the unnamed uh, Middle Eastern consortium, the £1.5 billion to buy out Kroenke. Um, that it's like a fascinating financial subplot. They're keeping up with the Joneses or the Glazers and the Abu Dhabis. Uh, I mean, Kroenke, he, he has a series of options. He can hold on to the shares. He can stump up some cash. He can sell to uh, his Russian adver- adversary, Uzumov. Uh, but some way, Silent Stan is going to have to start speaking. You're right. I mean, as this is going on, it's Arsenal fans that are left to suffer. We've joked this season that it would be less painful to walk around with a bunch of stinging nettles in your undies than be an Arsenal fan. Uh, they are proud uh, they are loyal fans it's awful to see these characters uh, suffer as much as they have done quick note on Spurs they are no one man team I thought Parker had one of his best games of the season Dembele one of my favourite players to watch in the Premier League Loris more and more impressive in goal Vertonghen was truly 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 excellent in this game and the one other player I'd add to that Vertonghen was amazing the one other player I'd add is just consistently good is Kyle Walker you know, it's just hard kind of enough, hard enough and fast enough. Just a very, very, very good right back. England actually blessed right now between Glenn Johnson and Carl Walker at right back. Really two very, I mean, I would just say world-class right backs right now. The feeling I was left with in this game is just the study of two managers. Arsene Wenger looked like a man heading home to seek solace in a bottom of, bottle of absinthe and the complete works of Albert Camus. Mm-hmm. When the soul suffers too much, it develops a taste for misfortune. There is no love of life without despair of life. But AVB, Davey, God, bold enough to declare after this game, Arsenal are now in a negative spiral in terms of results. He, actually, he'd say, Arsenal are now in a negative spiral in terms of results. But it's a life lesson watching that man. He limped out of Chelsea like a discarded piece of refuse. But he's had the confidence to shake off a psychically destructive experience set up next door to the scene of his humiliation, celebrate every goal with his players, uh, and the team he's left, which we'll talk about in a second, has revealed itself for what it is. It really is a human feat that lifts the spirits, David. What's so interesting about AVB to me is that um, he obviously never won the respect of or hearts of the players at Chelsea and therefore never won the fans. What's very clear to me at Tottenham, and maybe this is to do with some of the lessons learned at Chelsea, or maybe because he just got a completely bum rap at Chelsea from the players, is that those players obviously really like him and they really respect him and it feels genuine. So instead of when last year he asked the players to celebrate with him, they clearly want to celebrate with him. Look at Aaron Lennon. There's a great example. A player whose career under Redknapp, very inconsistently in the team, Look at the performances, the shifts that Aaron Lennon is putting in week after week after week for this guy. And just the respect you could see. There were moments when AVB was talking to him on the sideline. You could just feel the respect that Lennon had for him when he was talking to him. It's just the right man in the right job with the right group of players. It's led to a lot of GFOPs debating what was in AVB's PowerPoint before the game. Yeah. Irish Strike says, kittens, supercars, wizards and beautiful sunsets. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think he probably showed his team photograph. The way they played, it made me think he showed them images he had over his bed when he was growing up. The cast of Charles in charge, Susanna Hoffs and the Bengals, a tennis player scratching her buttocks as she approaches the net. Look, as big as the win was against Man United early in the season for Tottenham, this was a massive, massive win for them and one that they wanted really, really badly. Um... And I think a game that for Tottenham fans, you know, who are at that stadium watching on TV, I think it's a game that they'll never forget. Very impressive stuff. Um, up north, Rog, where the sky is closer to the ground. Man United 4, Norwich City nil. Shinji Kagawa. Um, my God, what a hat-trick that was. Just the coolest, uh, just 
effortless hat trick I've ever seen. Uh, Handyman United, a comfortable win over the Canaries. Impressive. I mean, they don't seem to be uh, missing a beat. It's actually, let's just give them, the, give them the league and just talk about the race for second, third, fourth and fifth place. Much oh, more interesting. And David. relegation. I mean, I, we're always week to week expecting them to blink, particularly with this big Real Madrid game this afternoon. Yeah, we're recording this before, the, uh, before that big I mean, game. But they just keep rolling, rolling, rolling like yeah. Rawhide. Norwich mustered a single shot in this game, not one which was actually aimed in the direction of the goal. And this is an interesting kind of sub-story of their season. United's fourth straight clean sheet. I mean, RVP has really dominated their footballing narrative, but their free-scoring ways have masked the uh, newfound defensive solidity that they've <coughs> discovered. It's 447 minutes since they last conceded a league, uh, league goal, their best run since 2008-09 season. And Kagawa, oh, yeah. which means true ruler, I believe, if my wow. Japanese is correct. He's the first player from any Asian country to score a hat-trick in the Premier League. But what, are you, what a hat-trick. It was a, it was a Devo hat-trick. It was just a nuanced, sophisticated... It was. Hat. He rolled that second one in. He chipped in that third. If you take the average speed of his three strikes, which I measured at 3.7 kilometres an hour, mm-hmm. which is exactly the pace of a golf car in a retirement village in Florida, this could be the slowest struck hat-trick of all time. Yeah, seeing when he said that about the Asian players, I was thinking, didn't Young Lee Sharp score a uh, score a hat trick for Man United <laughs> back Lee in the day? Sharp. Young Lee Sharp, look him up in Wikipedia. Okay, his goals were all nuanced. Wayne Rooney's slightly less so. Nice to see Young Wayne still got it in him, David. Yeah, although we'll see if he's dropped today for the game against Real Madrid. Uh, Great line, by the way, from Stephen Fry, English comedian, yeah. celebrity Norwich fan on Twitter. He said there are three teams with swear words in their name. Said this after the game: Arsenal, Ars. Skunt for Thorpe, Skunt Thorpe, and Manchester f***ing United. <laughs> Not bitter, honest was his hashtag. So funny. Uh, Man City also with a, a sort of unspectacular 1-0 win against Aston Villa. Um, Chelsea, Rog, 1-0 against West Brom. I mean, pretty good performance, actually. One of the rare times where Chelsea's performance was better than the result. Usually it's completely uh, the opposite. Um, Denver Bar scored uh, the game's only goal, although it's a pretty simple tap-in. Very good uh, work at the back post from David Luiz. Uh, Rafael Benitez, we expected the big protest at Stamford Bridge, but I think the 45,000 um, uh, Eastern European, French, Italian, uh, African, Australian, American tourists who fill Stamford Bridge for... Uh, for Saturday games, I don't think they uh, they really knew what was going yeah, on. I was expecting hell, Dave. Yeah. If that was hell, I have no fear of dying. Yeah. But no. the best the Chelsea fans could come up with was demonstrating a slightly unexpected rom-com side. The sign Rafa Benitez with just not that interim. Yeah, interim. <laughs> but the only positive support Rafa got over the weekend was from Liverpool fans who decided to chant his name hilariously. Against Wigan, Peter Cech said after the game, the success was due to everyone being honest and open-minded in the dressing room. Honest and open-minded here, clearly euphemisms for dysfunctional and wedgie-heavy. Let me ask you, though, how it feels right now for you, your team, lame-duck presidency of Benitez, essentially. We know he's going. He said he's going. Rumours of Fabio Capello stopgap sharing arrangement with the Russian FA, which doesn't look like it's going to happen. Another victory for player power. The flapping skin that is the aging Frank Lampard and John Terry still holding court. Like, how does it feel right now to be in this? Every season for the past two, we've talked about Chelsea being in transition, but it seems like we're almost going to be starting again with transition, David. Uh, I don't completely agree with that. You will not be surprised to hear, or actually with any of that. I think Chelsea <laughs> uh, continuing transition. I think Chelsea have a very, you know, a fantastic core of young players including, by the way, let's not forget the player that was missing on Saturday from the West Bromwich side was, uh, was Lukaku, who is one of the most promising young strikers in the, uh, in the league. So I think Chelsea have got a core of young players. You know, Oscar, we've talked a lot about. They've got the Mata, Hazard, Hazard's little brother, Paison coming up, a bunch of young defenders. I mean, they've got fantastic players. I mean, I would dare say it's a weird thing being a Chelsea fan right now. You know, obviously won the Champions League last year and not going to win the league this year. They're still in the FA Cup, got a very tough draw against Man United, still in the uh, Europa League. Wouldn't mind winning that. That would be a, uh, a good thing to win. 
weird situation with Rafa, but I think we're all excited to see who's going to come in next, who it's going to go and be. It's obviously not going to be Rafa. It's going to be somewhere else. Will it be Mourinho? Is Mourinho going to wait out for the Man United job? Um, but I was thinking as we were talking about Arsenal earlier, I think Arsenal might well finish fourth. I think they've got a better fixture list. I still think they're a very good side. Chelsea could just slip. They've got very tough fixtures. They've still got this turmoil. Still seem more sensitive than any other uh, team out there. But Chelsea finishing fifth versus Arsenal finishing fourth, Chelsea is still in a better position. Because long term, they have an owner willing to go and spend the money. They've got all of these young players coming through. They're going to definitely have a new manager coming in, which I don't think we know about Arsenal. And I think that, you know, in this you know, not-so-benevolent dictatorship, is it, it is at least people know who makes the decisions in the club. And you know you've got a guy who wants to win silverware every single season. That is the ambition of the club. So I don't think it's so bad. That's why they call you Michael Positive, Positive Davis. Davis. Without a doubt. Well, you've said United looking like they have one and a half hands on the title race. Yeah, maybe more. The battle for two, three, four seems I think to they be have three crystallizing. Hands on the trophy. I mean, really, the big narrative shift, Dave. Yeah. Turns to the bottom. Tales from the trash can. Yeah, QPR with a big win against Southampton this weekend. Uh, Reading losing to your beloved Everton, Rog. Villa. You know, lost to Man City. Just one, uh, they've just won uh, once in the past 11 games. Sitting on 24 points level with Wigan. It really seems to be these four teams uh, fighting it off. I mean, there are some other teams who aren't out of it yet. I mean, like Newcastle, Rog. You know, they're sitting just out of the relegation zone uh, on 30 points. Southampton at 27, just three points out of it. Um, interesting. It's going to be a very interesting final 10 games of the season. I would hate to see Wigan go down. They play such great football. But uh, I just wonder if they, can, uh, if they can last another season, fight it off for one more year. Yeah, I mean, QPR, fascinating win this week. They'd undertaken a bold scientific experiment to see how a bottom-place club plays after a five-day bender in Dubai. Would they play better? Would they play worse? The Daily Mirror reported that QPR had taken a five-day-long trip uh, in, to the uh, Emirate, where they trained just 90 minutes every day and then had all-night hardcore benders. And it proved that a spot of debauchery did Harry's boys well. Uh, I think he's hastily arranging an eyes-wide-shut party before this weekend six-pointer against Sunderland. Have you ever been to Dubai, David? Never been there. Never. Because, I mean, why you would take a football team to Dubai other than to have a bender is... Pretty well beyond me. I, a mate of mine just came back. He'd been scouting movie locations with a Hollywood star. He said a minor prince showed them round. And they'd go into bars at night and he'd say, whenever I see a prostitute at the bar, I'm going to say the word ting. And they'd walk into a bar and he did the, the minor prince would just say, ding, 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 ding. And then they go to the next. I mean, just, uh, essentially, they've written this minor prince into their next movie. Cause it was so you would not, to anyone who cared about their football team, would not go to Dubai. A team that could do we're going to Dubai is Reading. You named it. It's a dismal, dismal performance. I've always had the impression that Dubai is not the place you go for a debender. Not easy. You know, it's alcohol. Is is there alcohol everywhere in Dubai? Ting, is ting, there, ting, is there ting, a lot of gambling? Ting. Are there a lot of prostitutes? I had no idea. They've got some good golf courses. Yep. They were thinking about the Maybe, I know. I'm, I'm going to look into uh, emirates.com ting, a little bit ting. later. Ting, ting, ting. <laughs> uh, Reading dismal. Yeah, absolutely dismal against Everton, who slept walked through a 3-1 victory. Yeah. Uh, Aston Villa, unlucky against Manchester City. The, there's a whiff of the too good to go down about that team, yeah. which normally means you will go down, the rule of the too good to go down. Yeah. But against City, industrious, valiant, stuffed to the gills with a promise of youth. Brad Guzan, yet again excellent. How many times have we said that this season? Yeah. Um, and they managed to dominate the second half without really creating anything, which is starting to be the story of their season. And Wigan, hapless against Liverpool, 4-0, reinforced their standing. Liverpool did as a Premier League's uh, kind of informed team against the lower half of the table. Suarez, hat-trick, fabulous performance by Philip Coutinho, their new young midfielder. Going to be interesting to see how he fares against Tottenham next week. But Wigan are the teams, Davo. Toughest run-in. They've got Manchester City away, Newcastle United, Tottenham Hotspur, Arsenal, Aston Villa still to play. Yeah. Coutinho looking very impressive for Liverpool. Love, uh, love his game. Obviously, Suarez enjoying playing with him, enjoying the service. Um, Rog, got to tell you, now, as if we're not already in good enough moods, we're bringing a man onto the pod. Who's that? 
antonym of Black Dog. A titan of broadcasting. Bob Lee joined ESPN as a sports centre anchor on September the 9th, 1979. Rog, that was the network's third day of operation. That's before sports was invented. That's before cable TV. A lifelong soccer supporter. He served as the lead commentator for the 1998 World Cup. Remember that one, Rog? Do I? The Bob Lee World Cup. That was the Bob Lee World Cup and a little bit of Michael Owen and hosted the studio coverage in South Africa and was once, way back, the PA announcer for the Cosmos, Rog. That's an amazing piece of information. I didn't know that. Today, he hosts the Emmy Award winning Outside the Lines. I love that show on ESPN. Welcome to Men in Blazers, Bob Lee. Oh, gentlemen, it's it's good to be here. Yeah, back, back in the days with the Cosmos, not only did I have a chance to introduce Pelé and Beckenbauer and Kinalia. You made but, them. You made but, but, them. Well, I, I also introduced to crowds of 78,000 Bugs Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, of course, owned by Warner Brothers at the time. Exactly. And all of those cartoon characters is amazing. Great holding midfielder, Bugs. Oh, uh, Bugs was amazing. Yes, he was. Yeah. And, and true story, the guy uh, who was inhabiting inside the Bugs costume was, was Shep Messing. It was Shep Messing. <laughs> it could have been. You never saw them together. Uh, but was once, I am told, uh, pinched for scalping Cosmos tickets outside Giant <laughs> Stadium. True story. Oh, if only we could have had the picture of Bugs Bunny. If only we could have had the picture of Bugs Bunny being led away by the cops. But the police perp, the police perp were looking for a perp who was six foot two with huge ears and rather <laughs> large teeth. Um, Dave, so, we're talking to the man who has Ian Dark's car. <laughs> you do, you do. So we know this. We heard on the pod, Ian Dark bought his Lexus, I believe, because it was heavily recommended by Bob Lee. You got to tell me, Bob, are you taking a kickback from Lexus no, for this? No, uh, is money strange. being changed? Is money changing hands? Uh, let's let's first disabuse any notions that we're part of the moneyed class here, or the House of Lords, or anything like that. It's it's a hybrid. It's a very sensible car. It's also the same car that Roger Cossack, our legal analyst, um, has. But it's a it's a it's it's a very small, sensible car, and uh, we discovered this, I think, by chance, sitting at the dinner one night in uh, in Mexico City. And uh, you drive. The only difference, of course, being where the bloody steering wheel is on it. Yeah, you know what? We're we're trying to encourage people all over England that when they see in dark drive up in his car, we want them to sing, "You're just Bob Lee in disguise. You're <laughs> just Bob Lee in disguise." He wants to be you. He wants to be you. Well, we're gonna we're gonna spend a week on the road together coming up later this month between the the qualifier in Denver and then the qualifier in uh, in Mexico. It's a reality City. TV show. Devo is getting his little reality TV. I'm thinking we could turn that into a TV series. Darky and Bob Lee, yeah. and, and and Big Head and Big Red and and Casey, and it's gonna it's gonna be yeah it's gonna be boys' night out. I think. Oh, I think I can see it on the Oxygen Channel, can't you, David? <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. After Bad Girls Club. <laughs> We are, we're really honoured to have you. I mean, you, you have liked football for so long. We're, we see you a little bit like um, West Berlin back in the days of Germany, just an oasis of football <laughs> in, a, in an ESPN that didn't care when you did, in an America that didn't care. Um, but you liked football so long ago, it was almost as if when you started liking it, the game was still 1,200. Oh, by the way, and, and to be clear, to, to like it in 1979 is to love it today. Yeah, I mean, you, it was still being played by 1,200 villagers between the villages. <laughs> it was being played in English public schools, the wall game. But where did your love of football get born? Because I read you were the manager of Bloomfield High Soccer Team. My high school, exactly, yeah. in North Jersey, which... Um used to play uh, in the same conference with Columbia High School, which was coached by Gene Chizowitz, uh-huh. um, tremendous coach, uh, no longer with us, uh, brother of Walt. I think Gene is still here. Excuse me, Walt has passed on. But, uh, but we were located maybe, it's the early 70s now. This is 1971 when we actually used a goat's head, not a ball. Um, <laughs> but uh, we, were, we were right in the teeth of some great soccer players back in the back then and of course when the cosmos came uh, into into being a few years after we got out of high school and were paroled into college uh all the soccer interest bubbled up but I, I i was never with my knees i wasn't going to play but i just i fell in love with the sport in 1970 1971 and then i worked in local cable in north jersey back in the in the mid to late 70s and i, I convinced my boss and do as i said let's go televise some high school soccer and, uh, yeah, and it's not that hard to follow, really. I mean, with you only have two or three cameras, but we did some local high school games. And thank God we did, because that was the tape that I played for uh, for the Cosmos for Creek uh, Oriopremian, who is the general manager, uh, who hired me as the uh, as the public address announcer. That's amazing. Garrow's brother. 
So when, when the NASL folded, what was that around? 82, 83, 84. I did the final NASL games of the Cosmos, the Tulsa Roughnecks a few years earlier, the Portland Timbers in their first incarnation. I was the Kevorkian of the NASL. If I came, you were leaving. (laughs) So did you ever, when you were doing those final games and you knew that the league was folding, did you ever see it coming back? Or did you think that soccer, as we know it, was dead in America at that point? Oh, I thought it would come back in some incarnation. It became apparent. I mean, even in the Camelot moments of 78, 79, and 80, uh, it became apparent as we went from 24 NASL teams down to, you know, now we're contracting. And Edmonton and Calgary, where are they? And it, you knew it was coming. You knew the overspending. You, you knew that there were not enough resources league-wide that could do what Steve Ross was doing in New Jersey and New York with the Cosmos. I knew it would come back. Um, and I always wondered why uh, they waited a year after the 94 World Cup uh, to establish Major League Soccer. But I will tell you, I mean, it's been, you know, it'd be easy to take your shots at the league's philosophy. And, and they had to contract about uh, a few years ago with the, with the Tampa Bay and Miami. But they have... They've been they've been prudent, and they've got the soccer-specific stadium, which makes all the difference in the world. And you know, people are jumping on Don a little bit, saying, "Hey, we're going to be among the best in the world in 2022." If you don't think that way, you're not going to make progress. Well, the league going into its 18th season, MLS, no American professional soccer league has ever gone into its 18th season before, so they've they've gone further than anyone else. Yeah, and and you know, the attendance is up. There's there's it's well managed. Uh, we're away from the single ownership model, which you have to be because competition makes us all better. If they can manage this designated player thing, and they seem to be able to do that. I mean, I watched Sunday night, that, that opener. I mean, the atmosphere in Portland, I, mean, I wanted to be there. Three, Hell, three, that, was, that was fun to watch. It could, honestly, we've talked about that on the show, Bob. It could have been Argentina. It could have been England. Could have, I mean, that, that was a proper football culture. What's your take on what MLS has to do to substantially grow its national television rating, Nick? Yeah, that's that's the tough thing because the in-stadium experience, the fan experience is so great. My brother's one of the first four, I think, ticket holders for the Sons of Ben in, in Philly. I mean, he and I used to sit together at Cosmos games before I was announcing. And, you know, the stadium experience is great. Um, you're able to, to deal with these players. They're, they're not the quote-unquote typical pro athletes. It's, it's, it's getting it out there into a television landscape where – You've got discriminating and discerning viewers who understand. I, 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 you know, damn it! It reminds me just about the point I'm about to make. I got to set my home DVR because I'm going to miss a few minutes of the uh, the uh, game today between uh, uh, Real and, and, and Manchester. God, I mean, if, the, if they heard that you were going to miss a few minutes, they'd hold up kickoff they, for they, you. They, I, I would hope so, but I've got to do a show. But the point is, you know, the audience here knows what is the best football in the world, and, and, and MLS is, is, is representative, and certainly it's, it's, it's gotten better. It's not the best, and so it, it has to make strides in that direction. That's How do you sell yourself as, you know, an attractive attractive property but you're not the best and, and now with the new NBC deal beginning next year they, they have the rights to 300 EPL games yeah, I mean gonna you know we're going to walk around like zombies watching our phones no we look we have four networks now plus the Spanish language networks all competing for soccer rights and paying a lot of money for them that's a long way from where we've ever been in the United States before without a doubt Bob it but, is but the, but the networks have got to be prudent about it and I, I know you know last I checked where we are a for-profit business so you know you're going to make a, a bid that makes sense and then you know not you can't go above that other other networks might be in positions starting out they, they can afford a loss leader they'll they'll yeah. take a loss leader I think it's pretty clear to me from just listening to what Bob's saying that he's on my side of the uh, free market capitalist uh, point of view, Rog, not on your communist socialist workers' side. I just, we talked about free market, we talked about for profit, we talked about the benefits of competition. Ian Dark is on my side. He's a man <laughs> of the people. Talk, talk, uh, 1990, beautiful video, YouTube. Yeah. We, we love it at Men and Blazers of a young Bob Lee who looks very much, it has to be said, like the Bob Lee of today, almost identical. Yeah. Uh, and you were introducing on SportsCenter, the U.S. had just qualified for the 1990 World Cup, the first since 1950. You said, look, we've got football news. We call it soccer. You said the whole world's watching today. And then you admitted there aren't many U.S. fans there at the game. I think it was in Trinidad. Right. Um, but you said the game is a well-kept secret in the States. Uh, where, and then you talked about how soccer's been overlooked here. You love football. When you said that, you love the game. 
You've been manager in Bloomfield High. You've been the. You've loved it. You've watched. You've had a long view. Um, ESPN. When did you realise soccer was going to gain traction? And do you feel like a taste-making profit for having loved it long time? The game has traction. I, I tell you, not, up until I think, and I'll, I don't know what your perspective on it, but until we committed all the resources of our company as we did to the 2010 World Cup, I think the 2010 World Cup was a game-changer in the sports culture of this country. I think we went in there to produce an event on a level uh, unlike any that I'd ever certainly been associated with or seen in my career. I mean, they, they, we, we spared no reasonable expense to do it well, and we made a conscious decision in 2010 to not talk uh, down and explain, well, this is the offside, and it's, you know, this is what the midfielder does and what the holding midfielder does. We went out, and you could tell by the caliber of analysts that we recruited. I mean, there were the only American voices... Uh, in the studio were myself, Mike Tirico, Chris Fowler, and Alexi Lawless, and everyone else was there. Uh, you know, spoke spoke English, but you know, spoke it the, the funny way you guys speak it or other ways. And and there was also Michael Ballack. And Michael Ballack. Well, that, that was in the, in the European Championships. Oh, yeah, that but that's Euro. but that was an extension of that philosophy. Yeah, no, you're right. Do the game, and you know, basically, I felt it was so great. They're they're, they're letting us do the game. We we've always wanted it. You know, call a game, host a game the way you've always wanted to. Not worry about what the fractionalized audience would be. That you've got novices and newbies, and you've got people who are going to, you know, find every error. I think it started. I think you're right, Bob. And we've talked a lot about this. The decision to bring in Martin Tyler and Serene Dark, and the quality of the studio show you made, uh, the studio shows you made both in Bristol and down in South Africa, was just so phenomenal. It was 2010 was massive. But for me, it started actually with what ESPN did in 2002. And also in 2006, where the fans suddenly found those games, getting up in the middle of the night, having breakfast at pubs, watching all the games. And I think it blew ESPN away how, uh, how uh, successful the games were. And then I think in John Skipper, ESPN had a, had a president who was actually really behind the game. Well, there's no difference, uh, no, no debate about that, even though, you know, John is president of the company now for the last year and a half. I mean, you know, he's going to make prudent, again, prudent business decisions, but uh, he's able to set the tone in his leadership that, uh, you know, we have a lot to gain here with the Latin American market. We're just making good business decisions that they, that they intersect with world football is just doubly beneficial. I love I mean, it. We have, I love we it. have English language coverage of the Mexico home qualifiers, which yeah. is going to allow us to go down there and uh, in several weeks and do another game at Aztec. It'll be my third visit. I get chills every time I walk in that place. You know, I, want been there last about, August. I want to talk about the hex in a, in, in a second, Bob. But first of all, just there are two things which I love about you. One, your voice. I want to know how you got your voice, because you were not born with that voice. And a lot were, of tequila and cigars. That is a miracle of good. Okay, so we've answered that. The second question is, what are you taking? Because whatever it is you're taking, whatever pills, whatever yeah. color they are, what shape they are, wherever they come from, we, we, we you a, just instantly put me in a good mood. We had a question from at Phil Rail McCoy who asked, how have you managed not to age in 20 years? <laughs> Secret German blood plating, yearly sacrificial rituals with Brad Friedel. How? We want to know. as Lance taught me. Um, <laughs> no, no. No, that's very kind, but I guarantee you, and you can go online and buy tickets uh, to my autopsy when they, when they do finally slice over. We will. Count, we'll be first in line. <laughs> count the rings on my stomach. Uh, Is that true? That's going to be on NBC Sports. <laughs> exactly. So, well, we'll probably be in. They'll, they've been better. But, be um, yeah. but well, somewhere... Well, at least good-looking women presiding. That's the one thing we know. There's a picture of me aging poorly. I don't know. I just... I Listen, when I was hired in, in 1979, I was 24. I looked 18. And, uh, you know, I, I, but, uh, you know, and I, I've got this, this mop of hair that is all mine, but now has changed color, and there's a producer's name on every single gray hair. But uh, I've been fortunate. <laughs> but the happy pills, we would come back from halftime during, you know, a, you know, and everything was dire and, and terrible for the U.S. Alexi Lalas honestly looked like he was about to, like, you know, jump off he, he ripped, a bridge. Ripped his shirt sleeves off. He had his tie wrapped <laughs> around his head. <laughs> I know. And you were just as happy as can be. I loved it. I just loved the, the dichotomy of you and Lalas. It was so great. 
Well, it's, you know, we've become really good buddies, and uh, we've known each other a little bit before the 2010 World Cup, but when you spend that amount of time, and we, now we travel the world, literally. And uh, But, uh, listen, uh, I'm glad you think I'm always happy, but I, I think, we, you know, you try, and, you, you try and enthuse the audience, but at the same time, we try and ask the right questions. I mean, you know, you talked about the hex. we got a hell of a, we got a, hell of a situation on our hands here. It's not insoluble by any stretch of the imagination, but... Uh, Having one of the prior two visits to Honduras and going down there and getting thoroughly outplayed in that visit last month, uh, you know, we got to beat. I say we because we travel on a U.S. passport. We have got to beat Costa Rica. The United States have got to beat them. I, I actually saw you in Honduras. This is fascinating. I've watched you in action in Honduras. It was 90 degrees, Spartan conditions. The, the felt like there was a threat of a bag of urine popping out from every corner, Bob. Yeah, and Rog says we as well, by the way, and he doesn't carry a U.S. passport. You, you, had, you had not a hair out of place the whole time. <laughs> uh, I, t- I will tell you, there was no... The Honduran fans treated oh, us very well. By the well. way, we talked about that, that this, that this was completely overplayed and what a wonderful proper football culture Honduras... They really is. are. But they, uh, we want to know, what is your... You, are, you seem to me, and uh, at Rob Stone tweeted us, he said, please ask... Bob Lee about the hairspray. It's black market stuff, right? I'd love a can- he says, I'd love a canister or five. He said, what's your secret? We do want to know, what's your secret as a human and as a broadcaster that just keeps you so unflappable? As a so- biped. As a biped. I, I, will, I will tell you, though, now, this three-ounce carry-on rule is a major hassle. You th- I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Like, i got to figure out how to pack for this next trip. i got a tight connection going out to Denver, and so i got to, you know, oh, crap, i got to go buy those little, you know, uh, the three-ounce containers and, you know, and fit them all into the quart bag. And Bob, if you, if you tell us what it is, we will have some of our GFOPs, some of our, 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 our big listeners in the Denver area. They will assemble what you need. They will deliver it to you <laughs> yeah. at your hotel. I think Denver's one of the major capitals in America of horse placenta. <laughs> So, we know you're a Spurs fan, Bob. It's actually interesting. We've never had a Spurs fan on the pod before. Uh, That's outrageous. No, I know. It's amazing. Well, John Skipper's a Spurs fan. And Bill Simmons, also uh, our boss over at Grantland. He's a a Spurs fan also. We've never had a Spurs fan. When did he become a Spurs fan? Because I I went with, uh, I sat across from Bill at dinner the night he had first gone to Azteca, and he really had gone to his first ever big-time soccer match. I think around the time he he started driving a Lexus hybrid. (laughs) (laughs) He wrote a column about it, about how he'd arrived. He wrote a whole blog about how he'd arrived. I think it was a couple of years ago, maybe longer, actually. Um, but I know he went to the Azteca, and, and that was a big, uh, you know, life-changing uh, moment for him. But um, how did you choose him, Bob? I'll tell you, it's a great story. And I'm not a fanatical guy. I can't break him down all the way. But you all, everyone's got to have a team and to give you a reason to follow the table and whatnot. It was 1997. We're getting ready for the 1998 World Cup. We went over to Marseille for the World Cup draw. And uh, they held the draw outdoors at the velodrome. It was December, and even though you might have been on, you know, the Riviera, it was colder than a landlord's heart. It had been <laughs> 75. It was 75 the day before, and this wind they called the Mistral, which comes up from Africa, hits the Alps and then circles back down. Just it plummeted. We were freezing. So they had the World Cup draw. You know, I'm there called, with Ross, Seamus This is Malibu. called painting a picture. I is what this right. is I'm imagining Bob Lee for some reason wearing a monocle as he's telling us this <laughs> yeah, story. Right. Anyway, keep Come on going. And I've got my Meerschaum pipe going, and I've got a snifter of brandy going. Yes. Let me adjust my cravat here with my smoking jacket. In any event, my blazer is hanging, though, in the corner. Um, And so uh, my my good friend Seamus Mallon and I were doing this, and I have done games with Seamus going back to the early 80s. He's a very good friend of mine. He's a longtime commentator on the U.S. soccer scene. You should have him on sometime to tell stories of the NFL. He is a tremendous guy. And so we had arranged, you know, we, we knew we were going to uh, Marseille, and we were going to come back, and we said, well, you know, let's build some time in. He says, hey, I've got privileges at the Oxford-Cambridge Club, because he was working at Harvard at the time. We could stay right there in the mall. We'll go and catch a match. So we, we flew back from Marseille through London, flew into Gatwick, took a train into town. I'd never been to London before at that point. And we stayed right on the mall, right down the street from Buckingham Palace, which was a kick, and we went to White Hart Lane. And who, by the way, before we even stepped into White Hart Lane that day, and this is December of '97, who did we run into? But the mayor of Palo Alto, California, who was there on his own little football holiday. Uh, so we we got to sit in the BBC gantry. I mean, Seamus knows and knew everybody at the time. 
Final score, Chelsea 6, Spurs 1. <laughs> I remember that game, actually. You do? Well, yeah, and remember what they were fan. singing? They, the Chelsea fans were singing, best team in London. We are the best team in London. And so uh, and Seamus pointed out as we were walking out, he says, you saw seven goals. He said, you didn't see a single one scored by an Englishman today. I said, oh, oh, oh. so the future is now. And so, I, you know, we stopped into the Spurs gift shop, as any good Yank would do with a gold card, and I bought a bunch of stuff, and thus... Uh, you know, there I am, a Spurs fan. I'm telling you, we are going to animate that story, and it's going to be the greatest. With your permission, Bob, we're going to animate that. It will be the greatest animation of all time. It will be, be so good. It will be. Um, can we ask you? I don't like to move away from a hot topic, but we've had a lot. We got a, when uh, GFOPs knew you were coming on the show. We got a lot of big burning questions, and I wanted to ask one before. There's ointment for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Uh, Kev Hegarty, 23, uh, asked, uh, he said, ask Bob the following, who would win a fight, him or Chris Berman? <laughs> well, you know, we all look the same on TV, but Boomer is 6'5". Boomer's a large dude. I, I, you know, I'm 5'10 in small change. So if it came down to, you know, uh, I, you know he, he, he has a Larry Holmes jab and reach. Uh, no, no, I, I'd have no shot. Now, if if we were fighting a claymation death match on soccer knowledge, I might have a shot. <laughs> yeah, no that, doubt. that we will also anima- uh, animate. Yeah, Bob Lee, it was a pleasure to have you on. Pleasure the is mine, guys. I it's look a, forward I... to uh, seeing you for the rest of the hex. Have fun on your road trip with uh, Surrey and Dark, as we like to call him. Rent a Lexus. I think that would be great. We can call ahead to Avis, see if we can get that arranged It would arranged be like for you. your, uh, the comedians in cars getting coffee. I do a you series do... with Jerry Seinfeld called Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. We could make it just you like that. Fo- I'll send you out the production team. You could do football commentators in Lexus hybrids with brandy sniffers. And ointment. I do want to say, Bob, that you're a very modest man to talk about ESPN's role in growing football. You were there from the, great, from the very beginning. I mean, you've always been there. You've been an incredible stalwart of the game. We're grateful for the work that you've done, and it's great to have you on yeah, the show. Yeah, we're going to send you a blazer patch over there for your blazer. Feel free to wear it, it on ESPN. It's absolutely my, my, my pleasure. I'm going to phone ahead to Denver, see if they have any right-hand drive Lexus hybrids. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Thanks so much, Bob. Right, Thanks, Bob. Take care. Bye-bye. What a man, Rog. What a Joyous. God, I've never been better. in a better mood. Oh, I feel my fingers are tingling. Oh, oh I feel so good. Um, interesting. I'll tell you, I would love to be on that road trip with Serene. <sighs> with cameras. That would be that would be pretty good. Interesting hearing him talk Hidden about cameras is what I would really Interesting like hearing him talk about MLS too, huh, David? Yeah. No, and with some real perspective of understanding what went on with the NASL and uh, into MLS uh, right now. Uh, and here we go. MLS kicked off its 18th season, Rog. A couple of fantastic opening games. The Galaxy, they're back. One big against Chicago. Uh, 4-0. By the way, have you seen the photos of Landon in Cambodia? Uh, you know how I have? How? Everyone keeps photoshopping Carl Beckerman's hair <laughs> on top of Landon Donovan's photos in Cambodia to us. That, we'll talk about our competition in a minute, but yes. That many, could many be his honeymoon. Uh, Sporting Kansas City dismantled the Philadelphia Union, uh, Rog. That's, that club need a break. But the game of the weekend was Portland's thrilling rally from uh, 3-1 down uh, to uh, get uh, get a point yeah. against the New York Red Bulls, Rog. Amazing stirring. atmosphere up there in Portland. It was forever. Stirring. I've got to say, that bullion atmosphere made it seem like a proper football destination. Your team, Portland. Portland Timbers. Nossity. Psychic prediction. Darlington Nagby will be the next player to leave MLS and go and play in the EPL. Oh, that's a compliment. That is a compliment. Um, I have to say, Portland Stadium, I penciled it in alongside Dortmund and Juventus on the list of football stadia I really, really, really want to visit. And I know I'm not alone in that. That 3-3 game, game full of offense, not so much defense, it reminded me a little bit, Dave, of the ABA, of the Dr. J, George Gervin era. All they need is a red, white and blue football. I think soccer will just go off in this country. Yeah. But I love the spectacle, and if they have a game like that every week that's as thrilling in terms of a entertainment product, where I have a feeling this is going to be a very big year for MLS. Sunday night football. Uh, telegrams. Ravens are in, uh, enjoying the, uh, the, the, the spring light, Rog. Some older Ravens on the, uh, on the ledge. It's good to see them. Dear Rog and Davo, I'm a big fan of the pod and a Spurs supporter. Sorry, it's from Jim Choi. I've noticed that whenever Gareth Bale laughs or talks in an excited voice during interviews... 
he sounds a lot like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> what do you think this means? If Spurs offer him 160,000 quid per year plus a lifetime supply of honeypots, will we be able to keep him out of the clutches of Real Madrid? You know, my daughter JJ said watching Gareth Bale that she thinks he looks evil. And I think it's because he looks like Thomas on Downton Abbey. Yep, which she watches. She's seen Downton Abbey. She's seen a bit of it. I would never let my children... I did introduce my then five-year-old son, Bert, to Gareth Bale when he was here in 2010. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, you told me this. It was deeply, deeply traumatic. Yeah. Literally, and he didn't... He's never come close to Downton Abbey. He's not good with... (laughs) Gareth Bale, not good with children. That's so good. Uh, Brian Ralston from San Francisco, Rogers. Question, I've been burned by Josie Altador before, but I couldn't help a tingling in the down belows when I read of his new American record for goals scored in a season. But what does it mean exactly? And what's the state of the Eredivisie? Should we expect Josie to go the way of Luis Suarez and RVP? Uh, no, Josie Altador broke Clint Dempsey's record for most goals by an American in a European club season, scoring his 24th goal Sunday in AZ Alkmaar's 2-1 loss at RKF Walwijk. In the Dutch Eredivisie. Your Dutch is very good, David. Scheveningen. Ich habe ein Liebeleibewürste. Yeah. That means I have a living, loving sausage in German. Welcome on board, which means welcome on board. Oh, David, I'm thrilled for Josie. Yeah. Absolutely thrilled for the boy. His career was beginning to look a bit like a cautionary tale uh-huh. when he flunked in, uh, in Hull. Talent thritted away to the lack of discipline, but now he's scoring for fun. Great yeah. goals, too. He's proven that he thrives when he gets service. But what does it mean? What does it all mean, Rog? Well, it means it means he's not scored for the Von Trapp since November 2011. Yeah. It means he's just 23. But it yeah. means, really, what he does next, Dave, is going to be fascinating. Yeah. And we'll ev- see. Uh, Klinsman told me a fascinating story, because, of course, Klinsman dropped him. Yeah. Uh, which led to an incredible firestorm. Klinsman told me the story of his experience of Arsene Wenger at Monaco. Wenger dropped Yuri Djurkev, who was 24 at the time. Yeah. Um, and Djurkev, even then, was one of the most creative and needed players on the team. But Wenger benched him for a while to teach him that he didn't understand his job. Uh, and I'm wondering how much Josie's taken on the kind of Wenger lesson that you're not uh, indispensable and that you do need to step up and you do need to take your, your professionalism more seriously. The Dutch Soccer League, Davo, tradition of great scorers emerging from there, Romario, Ronaldo, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Luis Suarez, obviously. But you can also have that counter tradition of Dutch scoring machines who become a bust. Um, Matea Kesman, you yep. remember at Chelsea. Yep. Alfonso Alves, who scored seven goals in a 9-0 victory um, in the Eredivisie and then came to Middlesbrough on a record transfer. And he looked as if he'd asked for that transfer fee to be paid in pies. Yeah. So do do we know, David? We'll see. Oh, look, it's better that he's scoring goals than he's not scoring goals. I think we can say that for sure. Yes. From up. Shane Melling, we love a Shane. Question: Is it just me, or do lefties have a huge advantage in soccer? RVP and Gareth Bale are making goalkeepers and defenders look ludicrous, and then there is that little magician who plays on the continent. <laughs> I believe we're talking about Messi. Also Joey left, Barton. Yeah. Right also it. left foot dominant. Is it a different spin? Are they not expecting the shot? What is it about lefties that make them so good? Is he referring to left-footers in the Lord Grantham? No, 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 not Catholics. Is Although he... I think Roman Catholics are better at football than Protestants. I'd agree with that. Daniel Day-Lewis, sense of the word. Yeah. That's how he's talking about it. No, well, people le- who generally kick the ball and prefer kicking the ball with their left I mean, foot. I'm fascinated Rog. to hear what you think about this, David. I mean, left-footers have a natural advantage. When they play on their natural side, they cut down the line. Um, when they play on the right, where Messi began... They, they play as an inside-out winger, confusing defenders, cutting in dodgy flapper style um, against their opponents who have been conditioned to guard their flanks. But what, what do you feel they have in terms of natural advantage, David? Well, I mean, statistically, I really only know in tennis, statistically, left-handers over-represent in terms of, um, you know, pro tennis players. I think historically there have been great champions who've been left-handed. Um, and they definitely overrepresent at the top of the game. And one of the things that's very difficult, two, there have been two theories put out in tennis. One is that uh, left-handers find it, on the whole, they're getting coached or they're mimicking the play of right-handed people who are teaching them, and it's like looking in a mirror. So they find it easier to mimic when, because they are literally reflecting back in the mirror the shots. So they're not hitting the forehand on the opposite side, they're hitting the forehand on the same side. And um, secondly, uh, that... 
it is just something that right-handers play more against right-handers than left-handers, so it's more unexpected for them to go and play against left-handers. Muscle memory. Yeah. It's just, it's just, just hard. You just, don't, you, just, you just don't see what that. what you used to. Yeah, you don't see it as much. I tell you, in my experience, left-handers play differently than right-handers also. I mean, in tennis and any other tennis, GFOPs might have felt the same thing. Left-handers seem to put more spin on the ball. I don't know why. Maybe the wrists are looser. Maybe it's... It's just the way they're trained or encouraged to like use their right arm or to be right arm dominant. But McEnroe used to hit that. If you think about that McEnroe serve that used to hit with acute spin out wide, you just don't see many right-handers who could ever hit that same serve on the other side. And they just seem to hit more spin. I've always had terrible problems playing against left-handers for their ability to hit that wide slice serve out to my backhand in the ad court. Just, it just, it's not a serve I'm used to. Hitting in a serve that seems to go wide. I've never had as many problems in the in the deuce court against a right-hander hitting a wide forehand serve. I've always noticed but, that. But hitting that one against a left-hander in the ad court that goes out wide to my backhand, just have terrible problems playing against There's it. There's a couple of theories. You've named one defender's muscle memory. They're just used to playing against righties. Yeah. And they're conditioned to guard the flank uh, against the righties. And that gives like a player like um, Robin... Uh, the ability to consistently cut inside because the player's conditioned to go... Well, they're cutting inside against their weaker left foot when they're going to be better defending on the right. And then there's a very interesting theory. Uh, Some scientists in England said lefties have more confidence by virtue of their special skill. It's just psychosomatic. Especially amongst mediocre lefties, they've just always been told they're special and they start to believe it. The number of Premier League left-footed goals has actually trended upwards over the past 10 years, which is fascinating. Many have ascribed it to the influx of skilled foreign players coming into England, like Silvers, your Juan Matters, those kind of the guys. The interesting thing about many left-footers seem to be more genuinely, like, you know, totally left-footed, with no ability to their right foot, than you see right-footed players being useless with their left foot. You think of Ashley Cole, literally cannot kick a ball with his right foot. It's just so, so totally left-footed. I think you see that quite a lot. It's interesting, the other thing is that m- many left-footers are also, they're not left-handed. They are right-handed but left-footed and that seems to be a sort of a balanced coordination thing that might also be uh, something that's a secret i tell you my son george left-footed you said one of your sons yeah left-footed right-handed right-handed yeah hold, george a, seems to be the same with way. his left hand as well that's interesting <laughs> very interesting um do you do anything left-handed <laughs> do you other than that do you do anything left-handed nothing Okay, because uh, I play ping pong left hand. You do? Yeah, weirdly. I get the yips with my right hand in ping pong on the backhand. I don't know why. I cannot hit a backhand right-handed playing ping pong. I play ping pong left-handed. Amazing. Interesting things. Uh, when we do the Men in Blazers ping pong invitational, uh, yep. you'll see that. The MLS invitational. Yeah. Sean O'Brien, question. Has anyone ever brought up the idea of selling replica managers' outfits like they sell replica jerseys with players' names on them? Considering how popular managers can be, I'm surprised no one has tried to capitalize on this. Imagine how many Spanish side buckles with AVB you'd see in North London. Would this be ridiculous or am I onto something here? I've got to tell you. To do an AVB raincoat, we could sell a lot of those in our Amazon Emporium. You think so, Dad? I've got yeah. to ask a quite, let me ask you this. Are managers aspirational, popular? I mean, they are the face of the team. But is it aspirational? Do you want to be there? I mean, would you want to be if Arsene Wenger's clean, if Sam Allardyce's gut, the bulging eyes of David Moyes? I, I admire them, but I wouldn't want to be them. Mancini said to The Guardian, I love being a manager because to be a manager means always to be angry. Do you always want to be angry? You eventually get unhinged and fired, David. If Donald Trump can build an empire based on licensing his name on buildings and cologne and I don't know if he has a cologne, actually, and uh, shirts, he certainly has menswear, surely, surely Sir Alex Ferguson could do the same thing. That's so interesting. I thought about this. The Spanish side buckle, obviously. Yeah. The Mancini scarf. Yeah. But she bought me a beautiful blue and white cashmere scarf. Chelsea scarf. From Savile Rogue. Oh, it's lovely, that scarf. For your birthday. Beautiful. Thank you very the much. The Venga sleeping bag. It's funny you talk about that licensing thing, because I've been thinking about the Venga sleeping bag. <laughs> Steve Bold, I noticed, his assistant coach has a shorter version. Yeah. So he's chosen to wear that longer one on purpose. It's consciously he's trying to have a signature look. It's like Puff Daddy with Ciroc Vodka. I think Wenger is trying to use his popularity to launch a new kind of brand. It seems to be going really well, apart from the popularity and the brand, Daving. Yeah. What, what would you want to call this store if you said that Tony Poulis came out with his cap and shell suit against Manchester City, and the City fans sang, Tony Poulis, you're wearing the club shop. Tony Poulis, you're wearing the club. I think I'd call it club shop. 
gob for real meth. I'd call it. This is only good for those in the in the in New York area. I think where we have this sandwich store, Prêt à Manger, but I would call it Prêt à Manager. <laughs> It's also like pret a porter, like fashion. I love it, David. I'm just going to trademark that and get the URL. If you were a manager, what would your signature look be? If you're entering it now, knowing what everyone else is wearing. Yeah, I always dress and a little bit like I'm still a schoolboy or an old boy teaching back at my uh, at my old school. So it'd probably be that. I'd have a flower boot in it. That's good. I'd have armbands that hold my shirt cuffs in the perfect position. Tweed jacket. Yeah. Run DMC Fedora. <laughs> That's good. And most revolutionary of all, Davey, yeah. sun- sunglasses. Uh, Rog, we've run out of time for I Testify again this week. We never get to it, but we'll do it we again will. next week. It's such a good one. We will get it in. We will get it in. We will get it what in. What are we doing this weekend, David? Uh, this weekend? Well, I'm going to Austin, Texas, Rog. I know you went there last year. I've never been to I've gone to South by Southwest, taking Andy Cohen show down there. Never been there before. Unbelievable time. Um, so looking forward to that. The River Bats, I want to go and see. Uh, and my eldest daughter's just moved there, working in a taco stand. She assures me it's very hip. So a taco truck. I've never had a taco from a taco truck. Have you ever had a taco from a taco truck? What did Arsenal fans sing to Tottenham once? Lasagna. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's. Uh, I'm sure it's very healthy. Uh, so, Rog, this weekend, uh, football-wise, my God, Liverpool versus Spurs, a huge game. In the uh, Bob Lee household. Yeah, absolutely. Man United versus Chelsea in the FA Cup. In the Davis household. Uh, that's on Sunday, 3.10. Fuck sucker, sorry. The Liverpool Spurs, Spurs game also Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Fuck sucker plus. Uh, and in the FA Cup also, Millwall versus Blackburn, Rod. Millwall, one of my local teams in South East London. Um, 10 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday, 3.10. Are there no games on Saturday? Seems we're going to have to find something to watch on Saturday too. Uh, Rod, we'll be on Sirius XMFC. Oh, this Friday. I don't know what I'm going to do this Friday. I don't know what you're going to do this Friday. We'll be back uh, together on Monday at 9 a.m. Uh, on Sirius. Follow us on Twitter at Embassy Davies, at Roger Bennett, at Men in Blazers. Uh, like us on Facebook. Go to meninblazers.com. Sign up for the newsletter, brilliantly written by Rog. Go and visit the Amazon uh, Emporium. We have their keep. Uh, producer Greg in shoelaces. Do we have tacos from your daughter's tacos? We'll, we'll put them in. We'll get them into the Emporium. Uh, keep sending your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Spring weather. Send your older ravens too. Email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. That's it, David. Travel safely, big man. Rise and Happy pie. Happy birthday, gorgeous. Rise and pie. Kung Fu fighting. We'd like to thank you for listening to today's show. For more great podcasts, check out the Pod Center page at ESPNRadio.com. Okay. <laughs>